The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, Which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, This is the first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying, He is one and there is no other than he. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Clearly, the church values are engaging a certain fullness of the story of Tobit, given how long our first readings have been these last couple days. And that begs the question of why? What would be so important about this account that we read from it at such length in our first reading at the Mass? There clearly here then is more than simply the accounting of the travails of a family, important as that may be. And in this incident of the marriage of Tobias to Sarah, we begin to see that there is more here than simply an accounting of the struggles of a family. The angel Raphael sent from God to bring about the healing of both Tobit and Sarah and therefore the family through them. The angel who is sent to answer both of those prayers lifted up in a certain feeling of affliction where both of them called for an ending of their lives and that call and that cry arrives at the same time before the throne of grace and one answer to both prayers is given. And the angel is sent to bear that answer. And he guides Tobias on a journey to the city of Ecbatana, the capital of the emperor, empire of the Medes. And there where Tobit's relative lives, Tobias is going to marry his daughter Sarah, who as we heard yesterday, has already been married seven times. And none of those marriages lasted beyond the wedding night. Each of her husbands killed by a demon before coming to the marriage bed. 
And we have then this odd hurry that Tobias is in. Having heard all of this, you would think the last thing he would say is, well, I've got to marry her now, and we're not going to do anything until she's mine tonight. What a remarkable urgency about the young man. It's puzzling, it's surprising, frankly, it's shocking. It does pay to pause and just linger with details like this, because they're not there by accident. And when we make the mistake of putting these rosy, pious glasses on as we read the scriptures and we just nod our head as if everything we're reading is the most natural thing in the world, we actually miss the beauty of what is happening. And so we have this young man, the eighth husband, knowing what has happened to the seven before him, saying, but I'm going to marry her. And this moving incident where the door to the bridal chamber is now closed. The two of them are together, and the first thing they do is they consecrate their union to God. Before they give themselves fully to one another, they give their union, they give their marriage to the Lord. And they call out upon heaven for both blessing and protection on their union. And our reading concludes today with the double amen, the amen of each of them to this. And so they make a choice to look forward in hope, but a hope of the grace of God. And so here we are at this moment the eighth husband with the young wife. And now we pause and we marvel at the beauty of the number eight. Seven, we hear, is the number of fullness, the number of perfection. And we make a big deal in the Judeo-Christian tradition of the number seven because of that connotation. And, you know, we have seven sacraments, seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, we have sevens all over the place, the number of fullness, the number of perfection. And so she has had seven husbands who have not survived and seven marriages that never reached their fullness. And note what the number implies, a fullness of sorrow, a fullness of frustration, a fullness of futility, a fullness of trying a fullness of hoping, but a fullness of not achieving the union that one is seeking. And as we recognize that, we see that there is something greater than a mere earthly family manifesting itself before us, precisely because of the number eight, which follows seven. We hold in the church that the resurrection is the great eighth day. After the seven days of the old and fallen creation, the great Sunday of Easter, the new day, the eighth day, is the first day of the new creation, the day that the Lord had made. And we see that the people of God, that 
fallen humanity whose heart longs for union with God. We describe Christ as the bridegroom of the soul, the bridegroom of the church. Scripture is filled with nuptial language that speaks of the way the Lord will marry his people in a certain way. And so we see seven times Abraham, no, seven times Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David. The seven great patriarchs, the seven great figures of the human race and the people of God in the ancient world, all of whom were vessels of the love of God for mankind all of whom were ways that the Lord began to move in intimacy with his people and with us, all of whom died, all of whom, while they moved things forward, did not achieve that great spousal union of the Lord and his people until the eighth one came. Jesus Christ, great and mighty, the bridegroom of the soul, who stretching out his arms on the cross has his bride built up from his open side. Just as Eve was built from the rib of Adam, so the church, the bride of Christ, is built up from his open side as water and blood spill out. And all of a sudden we understand the hurry of Tobias, the urgency. It is, the, it is a prefiguration of the urgency of Jesus Christ. I must go. I must stretch out my arms. I will not rest until my bride is mine. I will not rest until this world is saved. What a beautiful, exquisite prefiguration we have in this account of seven husbands and the arrival of the eighth. The eighth who is urgent, and yet in all of his urgency to have his wife, the most urgent thing is that the marriage is given to God. Just as for all of the urgency of the ministry of the great bridegroom, Jesus, everything first is given to God. And because it belongs to God, it is good, it is effective, and he can give himself to us. How wonderful this is. At first glance, this is a edifying, wonderful little story. And yet tucked within it, hidden within it, is something so great and beautiful as this. And as we marvel at that, we pause then with the words of our gospel reading, the question of the scribe to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And the answer of the Lord is instructive. It is not love the Lord with all your heart, and it is not love your neighbor as yourself. It is here.
The Lord's answer is this. The greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Therefore, love him. But note that the loving is the fruit of the hearing. And the hearing is very specific. There is one Lord, not many. There is one God, not several. There is one, and he is your God. And knowing that the Lord is the one God, and that there is no other, the response is clear. Then you shall love him. But note how that loving, that loving of the Lord God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, is the fruit, the product, the response to knowing, to hearing, to internalizing he is one. He is the one. There is no other. And when I truly learn to hear that, because it's one thing to physically hear it, it's one thing for me to nod my head as I say it, but it is another thing to hear it into my divided heart, which serves so many other masters. It is another thing to hear it in my mind, which runs in so many directions that are not his. It is another thing to hear that in the energy of my living, which often pulls me onto pathways that are other than the one pathway that leads to salvation, and that's the truth. And so note, you can't love someone well that you don't know. And what is the necessary knowledge? The Lord our God is he is the one. There is no other. Therefore, you shall love him. And loving him, you will love your neighbor as yourself. But love of neighbor is the fruit of our love for God. And why? When I love God, I begin to love what is important to God. And my neighbor is as important to God as I am. And again, we see and we marvel at how this asserts itself in the life of Jesus. He who says this a few days before he stretches out his arms on the cross. And note how wonderfully he articulates this great commandment and the second one which is like it. Because on his cross, he does the work that his father has given him, and he will not turn aside for any lesser thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And yet it is precisely in his loving of his father that he extends his arms in that great gesture of love for us. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a remarkable conjunction 
of themes we have in our readings today. Complete it by that wonderful final note that it is through the listening, the hearing, the surrendering of the Holy Virgin Mary that the eighth one, the great bridegroom, comes into the world. God is one with his people. How good it is to reflect on these things when this same Lord Jesus will be here with us. And as he comes off the altar physically in my hands, but spiritually not, spiritually he comes to each and every one of you with that same beautifully odd urgency of Tobias. I will do nothing else until I am with that one that belongs to me. Only here, the bridegroom of the soul says it about each and every one of us. Amen.